Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower this morning on this beautiful, sunny, snowy day. We're so glad that you are here with us. If you're here in the sanctuary, if you'll please sign the Friendship Register. And for those online, if you will sign in online, we'd love to know that you are here. Today, the ushers will be taking any prayer cards within today's morning offering time. And today we are so happy that we have Jonathan White here with us today. It's always such a pleasure to have you with us. Next Sunday, we have a very special guest coming to Mayflower. His name is Joel Tannis. He's an artist out of Holland, Michigan, and he is known around especially West Michigan, but even throughout the country for his art and his murals. We had some generous donors provide um, the funds for us to have him come and create a mural with all of our children and youth. He will be here next Sunday morning to give the children's message, and then the children in Sunday school will begin to paint the mural with him on Sunday morning. And then he'll be with us all week, working with the kids at midweek and youth groups. And at the end of the week, you'll have to come and see their work. It will be on the wall right outside the offices here on the first um, floor. And as we were researching the marketing material for him, we realized that even the Pope has one of his paintings. So, you know, Mayflower and the Pope right there on the, on the same page with him. I'd now like to invite Julia to come and give us a moment for music. Epiphany has so many ways of being shown in music, um, so many symbols and images for this Sunday, uh, the star and the magi and journeys, and you will see some of that throughout today's music, some of it familiar, very familiar, like the hymn after children's time, We Three Kings. Um, what I want you to note when we do sing that is that um, all of us will sing the first and the last verse, but then we're having a soloist representing each of the three uh, kings in the middle verses, but then you please join in uh, every time in the refrain.
Good morning. Please join me in the call to worship printed on the first page of your bulletin. The Magi came from many places following a star. We come to worship, and a star sheds light on our lives. The Magi brought gifts to offer the child. We, too, bring gifts, ourselves, our hopes, our dreams. Shepherds and Magi, the meek and the mighty, all were welcome in Bethlehem. We, too, come to Bethlehem and then return to our homes rejoicing.
Shall we pray? Living God, you are the shining light that shows our way, the life that makes all things live, the joy that makes the whole universe good. Help us to recognize you everywhere. Open our senses to find you in unlikely places and open our hearts to welcome you in this place. Amen. So this morning, our only child here in service is six months old. So I am not going to have him come forward for children's message. He can watch from the pew with his mom. So we're still going to have children's message, though. And I wanted to share with you and the children that I grew up going to church. 
I had a grandfather that was a pastor. So we went to church all the time and twice on some Sundays and Christmas Eves. So I'm very familiar with the church and the church calendar, but not until I came to Mayflower did Christmastide become such a big thing. And so for the last 10 years we've been here, I've understood that the song brings tears and it's a tradition and it's very touching and lovely. But until this year did I look and like, find out really what does Christmas tide mean. And so as I do normally with my children's messages, I wanted to have a thing to show the children to help them understand what Christmas tide is. And so in my box, I do not have a puppy today, but I have something that kids love almost just as much, and it's a lollipop. So this lollipop I have is a blow pop. And if you're familiar with blow pops, it's got the hard candy outer shell, but it has gum in the middle. And so to take the blow pop as the example of Christmas tide, the hard candy sweet shell is Advent. It's fun, it's sweet, it's sparkly, it's exciting leading up to Christmas. And then we celebrate Jesus' birth through Christmas Eve and Christmas. But then what you have left after Advent and the hard candy shell is gum. And the gum signifies Christmas tide. We have been given in our church calendar these 12 days after Christmas to chew on the birth of Jesus and the miracle of it all and the angels and the wise men and the shepherds. And we get to do it all in a quiet, peaceful setting of these 12 days, this Christmas tide that follows Christmas. So next time any of you grab a blow pop, I hope that you remember and think of Christmas tide. And I have a whole box of them up here if you want one after service. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful that you are so specific, that you know how we need to learn more about you and your miracles and the gift of the birth of Christ. May we, as we're still within this Christmastide season, may we really chew on and savor and have that peaceful, wonderful time to reflect on the miracle that it is. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. The scripture reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you care to follow along in the Pew Bible, that page number is 681. 681. And now beginning with verse 1. As Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Word of the Lord. If you look in the bulletin, you'll see that the title of today's sermon is What's New in 22. Uh, I would like to change the title of that sermon to Saturday morning, Jonathan, I've had a reaction to the third vaccine. Do you have an epiphany sermon? Uh, 
Thank you for the charity chuckles. Will you please join me in prayer? Holy One, open our eyes that we may see and our ears that we may hear. Our minds so we can think and critically analyze. Our hearts that we may care. And our hands so when we leave this place, we leave in service. This we ask in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Well, every gospel has a particular perspective. Mark just gets down to business. He's brief, his sentences strike home, and that's it. Luke is always filled with the Holy Spirit. And we find a forgiving, loving Jesus in Luke's gospel. John presents Jesus as the king who is in charge of the entire cosmos. And Matthew presents a very interesting gospel. Most scholars believe that Matthew was writing for an audience of Jewish Christians because things were in really in flux in Israel at the time his gospel was written. To understand that, let's take a look at the historical aspects of Matthew and the literary aspects of Matthew. First, the historical aspects. In 66 AD, the Roman governor of Israel, of Judea, decided to impose a heavy tax on the state. The people couldn't pay the tax, so he let the Roman soldiers rampage through the temple and gather all of the goods there and carry them off for for their value. That caused the Jews to revolt, and the revolt was successful at first. They drove the Romans out of Jerusalem. Rome, who didn't really respond to things like that with a a kind word or kind deed, Rome sent the 12th Legion from Syria with auxiliaries to go reconquer Jerusalem. A Jewish army knocked the daylights out of them and massacred 6,000 survivors. And the war lasted until 73 A.D. When the Romans were finally victorious, they destroyed the temple. They were angry. Well, that caused a problem for the Jews because the temple was the seat of their religion. There were synagogues throughout the area But worship and the priest were centered in Jerusalem and centered in the temple. Now the temple no longer existed. So, Judaism was in a state of confusion. And there were competing, competing ideas of Judaism throughout the area. Eventually, 
a group of people called the Pharisees established rabbis and made local synagogues the center of Judaism. Matthew was written, most scholars believe, after the destruction of the temple. Matthew was written in the state of flux inside of Judaism. But Judaism isn't the only thing in flux. Jesus has been resurrected. And there is the birth of a church. But it is not just the birth of a church. It's the birth of churches. As Steve and Ruth pointed out this past fall in their wonderful series on Acts looking at the early church, there were lots of different theologies. There was no orthodoxy. There was a competition in what would become Christianity. It was centered in Jerusalem, then in Antioch, then in Alexander, and then in Rome. And there were Christianities, as Jacob Needleman said. In Israel, there were also Jews who were Christians. And in their Christianity, they believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Scholars believe that Matthew was written for those people. They were persecuted by the synagogues. Matthew writes, You will be thrown out because of my name. They were cast away from Judaism. Matthew writes, You will be cursed because of my name. They will be told that the Pharisees understand the law. Matthew writes, I have come to fulfill the law. For Matthew and the Jewish Christians, Jesus is the literal embodiment of the law. The fulfillment. Everything the prophets pointed to. He is the outcome. Now there are a few things that support this. Scholars have discovered first. Jesus gives five sermons in Matthew. Well, if you're Jewish, you understand. Ah, five. The Torah. There's a narrative and then Jesus goes into a sermon. Like like, uh, Moses who encounters Jesus on the mountain, or encounters God on the mountain, Jesus gives a sermon on the mount. There are several other parallels that if we were in class, we would just go through and look at all of them. In fact, we would look at them in the Greek and compare them to what theology was at the time. But let's just go with the idea that this is what scholars believe. Okay, That's the historical aspect of Matthew, written 40 to 50 years after Jesus' resurrection for a community of Jewish Christians who believe that Jesus is God's promise 
to fulfill the law. Now, let's look at the literary aspects of the story we heard today. Because Matthew is a wonderful storyteller. We start out in this pericope, the story inside a story. We start out in this pericope with two versions of kingship. One king is in Jerusalem. And this king is powerful. This king has troops. This king has wealth. This king makes life and death decisions. This king represents 1% of the Roman Empire, and those are the people who have enough to survive. This king, Herod, is power, earthly power. Then there's another king. This king is born among the other 99% of the Roman Empire. This king is a defenseless, weak infant. This king has very little earthly power, has no troops, has no wealth, has no one to command. And this king is the king of an entire cosmos, a realm that many of the powerful Romans cannot see. Then we have the central actors of the pericope. Those are the magi. The magi, what are they? In the West, we've called them kings. Uh, we've called them wise men. They were probably astrologers. The Latin root uh, of magic is magi. And they have examined their charts, and they see there's a king. But this king is not the all-powerful, mighty king in the palace. This king is something else. Now in the West, because they give three gifts, we think there were three kings. In fact, over the years... The kings have been given names, and stories have been told about them. The Bible just says magi. In the east, by the way, they have 12 magi uh, presenting the three gifts. What these people have to do is to make a decision. At first, they see the earthly king. Is that really what we're seeking? They want to find the king they saw in the stars. And there are wise men. But who are the wise men? They're the people that Herod consults. The wise men 
and the scribes in his court, the people who know power. The Magi are seeking another source of power. And when they find that source, they receive a holy warning. Don't go back to the Roman appointee. Go back to your homes. What in the world could that mean to us on January 22nd, January 2nd, 2022? Ruth, if you're watching, I have got something in your sermon right there. Let's think about what happens to Christianity. Christianity attracts the hopeless. Christianity attracts the poor. Some of the wealthy, too. Christianity is going to set the world on fire with excitement and the light of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is on the move. If you were placing a bet in 80 AD on what's going to triumph in the next 2,000 years, your money wouldn't have gone to Christianity. But that is what triumphs. Harold's palace is gone. Christianity remains. But something happens in Christianity. In 325 A.D., Constantine makes Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. And now, instead of representing that Holy Spirit that burns in rich and poor, that burns in the dying and the, the newly living, that burns in your heart, Christianity becomes a religion of empire. This Middle Eastern religion becomes a European religion. Spread in no small measure by two other empires. The Merovingian Empire coming out of France and the Carolingian Empire. And it spread with the sword. Examine sometime the way Charlemagne converted Christians. Christianity then becomes the religion that has all the answers to everything that allows you to believe no other thing and that is wholly sufficient for everything you need to know. And that clashes with a religion that is wholly sufficient, that tells you everything you need to know and claims ultimate truth. And beginning in the 600s, on our calendar, Christianity and Islam clash over empires. Then come the wars of religion. Believe this way, the Roman church says, or we'll put you to death. Believe this way, the Protestant church says, or we'll put you to death. And they go to war. 
Then the world is discovered, and the white Christian people of Europe find that people who are not white are not civilized, and they need to be Christianized. If they're not Christianized, wipe them out. And that's what the white Christians did in the name of imperial religion. But there's another side of the church. That Holy Spirit that burned in the hearts of those early Christians, of the rich and the poor, of the dying, of the newly born, that Christianity didn't go anywhere. That Christianity stayed with parish priests. That Christianity stayed with Aquinas when he finished his magnificent philosophical works and he had a vision of God. He was silent for the rest of his life. Because he realized the magnificence of God was brighter than anything he had uncovered in his brilliant philosophy. There was Francis of Assisi who realized that the spark of God was in everything. Who realized, like Jesus said, I am in you, and you are in me. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. There's a spark of you that is holy. Realize that. Live like that. Love like that. There is our own congregational ancestor, Henry Emerson Fosdick, who in the early 20th century said, the church is not about wealth and power. The church is about the power of Christ that can still speak to us in scriptures that are 2,000 years old. We look for meaning in those scriptures. We look for love in those scriptures. We look for salvation in those scriptures. We look through the Holy Spirit, through Christ. So, in 2022, 22 centuries after this religion was born, we're asked to make a choice. Which Christianity do we want? Do we want the Christianity of power, of empire, of superiority, of class distinctions, a 
of might and right? Or do we want the humble Christianity of a defenseless baby who will grow to say, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world is debating. Our country is debating. Which Christianity do we want? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now is the time in our service where we take up our morning offering. Your offering does not only bless Mayflower, but because of your heart for outreach, it blesses so many others. It blesses the homeless teens that you've provided a furnace for their home. It blesses the Sudanese Grace families for Christmas groceries and so much more. So we thank you for all of your gifts and your offerings, and we will call forth the ushers at this time.
In a few minutes, we'll be invited to come to the table. If you are able, we ask you to please come forward. I will serve the elements, the first element, the bread, the body of Christ, and then come to the table and accept the cup of salvation, the blood of Christ. Friends, we come to this table not because we must, but because we are invited. We come to this table not because we are worthy, but because we have been made worthy by God. We come to this table because God is a God of love. And like Francis of Assisi said, that spark of love permeates creation. So come from the east and come from the west. Come from the north and come from the south. Man or woman, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, young or old, come to the table for all is ready. Let's raise our voices in song.
Let us pray. Holy One, with your Spirit, bless these elements. Let us partake of the body and the blood of Christ that we may again remember that we are your people and you have transformed us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Amen. We remember on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same manner, he took the cup. And said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the remission of sins. As often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. Ministering to you in the name of Christ the Lord. We will share the bread and the cup.
Let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, After that first communion, they went into the garden and sang a hymn. Let's raise our voices together in celebration of life, in celebration of the Eucharist, in celebration of best wishes for 2022.
Please be seated. What kind of church do we want to be? What kind of Christians do we want to be? During the Eucharist, I looked in a lot of eyes, and I think I know the answer. Happy New Year. Go from this place in peace. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.